We are in Nehemiah chapter 3, so feel free to go ahead and turn there. And as you do, I'm going to tell you a little story about my day about two weeks ago. My day started off 6.30 in the morning uh, at a little book study with three guys who are all older than me, which means they're much wiser. And they usually give me good, sage advice. And on that particular morning, we happen to talk a little bit about our daughters. Now, one thing you need to know about me is that the moment my daughter was born, and I actually realized I was having, we had a girl at that point, I began to dread the dating days. And I'm a very imaginative person, which is awesome in some areas, and also not so awesome, because I feel like I've already lived through the days when my daughter will bring home this little boy to date over and over and over again. Now, if you're a dad who has a daughter, how many of you are a little bit worried about them dating? <laughs> Rob. <laughs> Rob's daughter's getting married in like a month, six weeks, so to an awesome guy. So they were talking about daughters and these three uh, wise men who have daughters who are in the dating stages said to me, Ryan, enjoy this time with your daughters now. Enjoy this time when they love you more than any other, when they respect you, when they listen to you, when you have their ear, because a day is coming when you won't. And I was, oh no. So I went home and I told my wife, Heidi, it's true. All of my fears are true. <laughs> There's going to come a day when my daughters no longer listen to me. And they're going to listen to some punk instead. <laughs> so I was a little bit down. And I thought, what better way to cheer myself up than take a little stroll around the internet? <laughs> so went to the internet. And I stumbled upon Sam Champion from Good Morning America with the grandson of Jacques Cousteau. And they were out in the Gulf of Mexico. And they were putting on hazmat scuba gear to dive into the water and film for the first time, we've seen those images since then, the underwater effects of the oil spill. So I watched as the cameras descended in and these pristine gulf waters suddenly have these huge clouds of oil. We now know some are as deep as a mile moving toward the camera. They had these great shots of the chemical dispersant making little beads of oil that then just kind of sink into the water down to the bottom. So I watched this video. I watched them get out of the boat, and they have to be scrubbed down in their hazmat suits because the effects of the dispersant and the oil on their skin would be extremely hazardous. Scrubbing these guys down, looking at their depression, and I'm going, okay, that did not cheer me up. <laughs> so then I had a meeting. I thought, oh, meeting, you know, that'll cheer me up. Meetings are fun and exciting. So I went to this meeting. The meeting actually wasn't that bad. But I got a phone call during the meeting from my wife who said, Ryan, just found out that our friend, who happens to be our neighbor, has been diagnosed with lymphoma. She's got cancer. So they have two kids who are the ages of our kids, and the doctor told her 
Get ready for the fight of your life. So by nine in the morning, on that morning, I was pretty much depressed. I was pretty much aware of a lot of broken things in our world. Not to be too dramatic, but there's a reason all of us dads are afraid of our daughters dating. Something kind of broken about this system sometimes. There's this broken leak under the ocean. It's a broken lymph system. It's just brokenness all over. How many of you had a day like that before? Everyone should raise their hand, I hope. I mean, maybe some of you are living that day right now. Maybe you've been living it for the past week or the past year. Just kind of down. Things are broken. And I would imagine if we went around the room and we said, hey, what are some things that are broken? We'd have some really big things. More illness. The church in America. Marriages. We probably have some small things. My refrigerator. My lawnmower. But equally frustrating. Brokenness. So I'm hoping that we can look at a story from 2,500 years ago and find a little bit of hope and joy from this story. Because, frankly, I think I did as I looked at it this past couple weeks. Nehemiah 3. Just to give you a quick recap so we all know where we're at. The Jews had been exiled. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The Jews were living in another country. Everything lost. A lot of things broken. But things had begun to move back towards rebuilding. The temple had been rebuilt in Jerusalem. Some Jews had been moving back to the city, back to Jerusalem, their home, and living there. But there was one big problem. The wall was still broken. And the wall was a big deal. The wall was the defense of the city. In a, in a sense, it was the pride of the city. It was what the city stood for. This was way more than just some rocks piled on one another. This was the wall of Jerusalem, and it was destroyed, as we learned in chapter 1. So Nehemiah, the last couple chapters, got permission from King Artaxerxes to rebuild the wall. He went and checked it out. And here we are in chapter 3, where rebuilding is beginning to occur. Now, I'm not going to read chapter 3 just because, honestly, it would get really repetitive and a little bit boring. So I am going to summarize it, though. There are 32 verses in the chapter, and every verse goes something like this. Someone built or repaired something pertaining to the wall. And it says it over and over and over and again. Someone built or repaired something pertaining to the wall. Someone built or repaired something pertaining to the wall. You get the idea. The someones are various different things. Sometimes the someones are priests. Sometimes the someones are the well-known son of Haram. Or the well-known son of Pahath Moab. Or no ones. They're just someone. The some things are various things. Sometimes they're well-known gates, which we'll get into in a little bit. Sometimes they're well-known sections or areas of the wall with very creative names like the angle and the corner. And sometimes they're nothing again. It's just an anonymous repair on something. There's additional details thrown in from time to time. Sometimes someone worked zealously. Sometimes someone worked when their nobles didn't want them to work. And sometimes it's really no details. And sometimes it's a gate with bolts and hinges and massive beams. So you get the idea. But basically, over and over and over again, it's X repaired Z. 
or Y repairs Z? Either one, take your pick. Yeah, I never was good at algebra. So in chapter 3, this word repair, though, is stated 38 times. Build is another 7. So there's a lot going on with this word repair. And for me, when I, someone that reads it, I say, oh, there's a lot of repair. Maybe I should look at that word. And the word repair, at first glance, is, you know, not really that exciting for me. I'm not a guy who really loves to repair things. Um, I think of repairing a car, which I'm atrocious at. And I think of bringing my car to a car repairman and paying him money to repair it since I don't like it. I think of repairing pipes or some kind of broken thing, which I can do, but frankly, I don't really enjoy it. And so repairing a wall, repairing in that case, uh, you know, yeah, okay, I get it. Kind of, kind of fun. But when you look at this Hebrew word, which is often the case, you kind of get a little bit of different feel for this word. A little bit deeper, a little bigger. So the Hebrew word, ready? Chazak. I was asking Imad if I was doing it okay. Is that okay? Chazak. I mean, we don't say ch ever in our language. But go ahead and say it with me. Chazak. Yeah, we, you know, we all want to be able to speak Hebrew. It's so cool. I mean, maybe that's just me. Chazak. This word for repair. And it's often translated strength. In fact, in Joshua 1.6, that verse we've said a lot, be strong and courageous. It's be chazak. Be strong. Various other translations for it which kind of expand its meaning. Victorious. Encourage. Help. Rally one's strength. To recover. Specifically to recover from illness. To restore. To prevail. This word starts to take on a lot bigger meaning than just repairing a broken pipe. Or even than just repairing a wall. So I think this story is a lot bigger than Israel just going and repairing a wall. This wall was a symbol of their nation, of their culture, of their heritage, of their people, of their standing with God. So this story is much more than repairing a wall, but a story of chazak. And when I think of chazak in terms of my daughters, in terms of oil spills, in terms of cancer, in terms of the church, in terms of materialism, whatever else you want to throw in, I go, man, I need some of that chazak. I want it in my life. How can I get it? What can I learn about it? Well, it so happens. I think we can learn a few things about chazak in this chapter. First, chazak, and as time goes on, I'm going to really start just saying chazak because it gets old. First, hazak is sometimes boring and dull. Right? Great way to start it off. Boring and dull. Something we all want to do. But if you look at this story, verse 10, you have verses that say this. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashbanah, made repairs. And in verses 20, 23, 28, and 29, there's more indications of people who basically walked outside of their house, saw the wall was broken, and started to repair it. Not really a big, majestic story. I mean, they didn't go form an army. They didn't go form a nonprofit corporation to make these repairs, which I've been forming a nonprofit, thanks to Chris here, and it's not fun. But they didn't do that. They just kind of woke up, 
walked outside their house. Oh, hey, here's a broken wall. I'm going to start repairing it. Kind of boring, kind of dull, not really that big of a deal. And then verses 2 and 5 and 8, there's more examples of it doesn't really even say what they're repairing. I mean, maybe they just came out and put a few stones. We don't know. But again, nothing real dramatic. It didn't repair the big gate. just kind of went out and did some repairs. Now, those who did repair the gates are mentioned. And as Kevin talked about last week, showed the little map of the gates. There's basically ten gates in this wall. And if you follow Nehemiah 3, he goes in a counterclockwise movement around focusing on each one of these gates as they repaired. And there's some cool gates in there. The sheep gate. The sheep gate, where the sheep are brought into the wall for sacrifices. You know, you're the family that got to build, re repair the sheep gate, and you're going, hey, no, pretty big deal. We, we repaired the sheep gate. And then you're the family that gets the refuse gate, the trash gate, the garbage gate. Yes, uh, we, we got to repair the garbage gate, everyone. Thank you. Oh, the garbage gate, way, way to go, guys. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very important where we bring our garbage out of the city, and we've done it. Not really that exciting. You know, I'd rather be with the sheep gate, honestly. And then, as you look at it, you just kind of sense that there had to be some of those people who've had those moments like I've had. Those moments where I'm, I feel like I'm doing something. You know, I'm talking to the guy who maybe has that porn addiction and I'm helping him out. We're seeing movement. Maybe you're talking to the couple who's had a bad marriage and you're, you're seeing some movement. Maybe you're helping a family in town kind of get settled in, and you're seeing some movement, and you're doing some stuff, and then you, you kind of look around and go, is this really matter? I mean, because, yeah, there's some good things here, but whew, I just need to look over here, and it's a world of bad. Am I really affecting anything with this putting a couple stones outside my front door? Oh, yeah, that's Hazak. Sometimes it's a little bowl. A little boring, a little dull. But you're doing something because of the second thing about Chazak. It rarely happens alone. If you look at chapter 3, there are 51 people or groups of people mentioned in this chapter. In other words, a lot of people are rebuilding this wall. And some of those people are, are guys we would expect maybe. Eliashib, the high priest. You know, the high priest, he makes it into the story. Rebuilding the temple wall, okay. Maybe Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz. If you're Merimoth, you're going, oh, that's pretty cool, I made the story. I mean, let's be honest, not everyone made their name in there. Merimoth, I'm in there. Guy did exceptional work, maybe. I don't know why he's mentioned. If you're Hananiah, you're especially excited because you're a perfumer. And if you're a perfumer who was mentioned in rebuilding the wall. You know the perfumer's union is just loving you. It's like, thank you for representing us. We make a lot more than just little sweet liquid. We can rebuild this wall, man. We're cool. But then you have, which is always the case when there are a lot of people working on something, people who aren't mentioned at all. The no-names. The men of the valley. All right, well, you know, at least they got, they're from the valley. You know, it's kind of cool. The men of the South Hill helping out. You have the temple servants. I mean, well, seriously, if you're a servant, I'd like my name mentioned. No, you're just the temple servants. That'll suffice. 
And then my favorite in verse 18, after him, their brothers carried out repairs. And it goes on and lists these guys' names, and then it says, oh, and their brothers helped. Now, if you're their brothers, you're going, well, wait a second. Why well, my name in the story? Why does my brother get to be there? Well, that's just the way the story goes. Your brothers. And there's a lot of times when there's a lot of people who are repairing that you are not in the spotlight. It's kind of that thing when you walk out your front door, it's on a Saturday, start talking to your neighbor a little bit, ask him how his day is. Oh, hey, it's great. Actually, can you help me? Can you come inside for a minute? I need to help move this new gas stove campfire I bought. Oh, okay, great. And you help him out, talk a little bit about spirituality, and you go home. Not really a lot happened. We're not going to have you stand up in church and say, Corey, hey, great job talking to the neighbor yesterday. Fantastic. No one's going to hear about it. Not that big a deal. But I wonder sometimes if we don't imagine walking out and talking to that neighbor and looking over this way and looking over this way and seeing a lot of people talking to their neighbors, a lot of relationships, a lot of conversation, a lot of help, and start to envision this wall building slowly if it wouldn't make us do it a little more. Fact is, a lot of us don't get noticed because there's a lot of us doing it and we need everyone to do it. We talk a lot about 1 Corinthians 12. We're the body of Christ, the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ, the mouth of Christ. And we usually throw out the really great body parts. But the fact is, you know, some of us are the elbow or the knee or the rear end. I mean, not really that exciting of a body part. Third thing about chazak is it's often work. <laughs> it's just downright work. I love verse 20. It mentions that Baruch, the son of Zabai, worked zealously. Now when I read that, I say... Well, if this guy was going zealously, I'm going to assume there were a lot of people who weren't going zealously. Because he stood out. Oh yeah, Baruch here. He was really going at it. Everyone else? Yeah. They were working. And it's hard work. You look at this wall. It's four and a half miles long. Long ways. 23 feet wide at its base. 23 feet. It's a big wall. 26 feet high. Again. Lots of piling rocks upon rocks here, by hand. It's talking about massive gates, massive beams, massive hinges. This is a lot of work, and it takes them 52 days to complete. So again, all of these people, all of this time, a lot of them unnoticed, but doing it together, repairing this wall. And it's a lot of work when you get right down to it. Kevin talked about last week, Nehemiah and his ability to know when it was time to pray and not work. Well, the other thing about Nehemiah was he also knew when it was time to work and stop praying. And he always seemed to get it right. Yep, right now it's not time for me to get my hands dirty. I need to pray. But you know what? At this point, it's time to get to work. The other thing about work is, is work is not just talking 
negative about something. And I think we need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of it. I think in the sense of the oil spill, we've seen a lot of talk about the oil spill. And you can probably relate by now. You turn on the news and it's just more negative. Not that it's not true. It's true. But I'll tell you, at some point I just say, I am so depressed right now. I can't take it. And we do this in terms of the American church. Again, I've done it. Come up here. You know what? The church is falling apart. We're moving on our way to Europe. We're filled with a bunch of consumeristic, materialistic, weak Christians. And you kind of leave going, oh, thanks. I feel, feel great now. Motivated. I wonder if there were other leaders who came before Nehemiah. This wall was in disrepair for a long time. I wonder if there were leaders who came and went, Look at this thing. It's on fire. It's broken down. This is horrible. We stink. And they're kind of, yeah, thanks. Okay. And Nehemiah comes, and he presents this vision of Hazak. Presents this vision of, no, think about what this wall can be. Imagine this beautiful wall again. We're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to work together. Some of you aren't going to be acknowledged at all. But imagine what this can be. And suddenly this motivation comes to work. Because, yeah, we can do this. I've challenged myself. I've challenged Christians in general. Stop just complaining about the church. Stop just pointing out all of its faults and how bad it is. Start presenting a beautiful image of what the church can be. Maybe we'd find that we're much more willing to work for it and work hard at it. Finally, I think this is my favorite one. We serve a God who is a God of Kazak. Victorious, encouraging, help, rallying one's strength, recovering, restoring, prevailing. I think if we went around the room and started asking people their views of God, personality of traits they would ascribe to Him, we'd probably have quite a variety. Some of which would be angry. Some of which would be absent. Some of which would be not really doing much. And I think no matter what your view of God is, that it's imperative that we view God as a God of chazak, a God of repair, of restoration, a God who desires that. I loved in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 9, Russ read it. The whole reason Nehemiah came to this, he was praying to God and he said, God, you have said if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. This image of gathering, of restoration, and it references Deuteronomy 30, where God talks about restoration, gathering again, prospering, multiplying. And again, I think this story is so much more than just some guys building a wall. This is a God saying, I want to repair and restore you. I want you to come back to me. 
we look at Jesus, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, look at the way I live. Look at what I do and you'll know what God is like. What did Jesus do over and over and over again? Restore. Heal. Restored a blind man. Restored the cripple. I would say Jesus also came to heal and repair religion. To restore it to what it's supposed to be, this relationship. Came to restore these ideas of shame and guilt that people go around with. To restore our ideas of hope and joy. So I come back to that day I had. It was kind of a bad morning. Ugh. Daughters dating. Ugh. Ugh. This oil spill. Ugh. Cancer. We can go on. Ugh. The church. Ugh. Politics. Ugh. Healthcare. Ugh. Socialism. Ugh. Marriages. Ugh, fill in the blank. Go on and on and on. And I asked myself, well, Ryan, are you going to just continue to ugh? Or are you going to start to imagine what a repaired, restored, beautiful wall could look like? And are you going to start working at it? Are you going to start being willing to do the (laughs) boring and dull, mundane tasks when no one notices? Are you going to work in community with people? Are you going to work? Are you going to put in the hard work because you're motivated by what this beautiful wall can be? There's one more important thing, and maybe some of you are thinking it. Ryan sounds awesome. Sounds great in theory. Chazak. Yeah, I love it. But guess what? Chazak doesn't always happen. I've got the friend who died of cancer. I have the daughter who married the creep. And it's not really funny. It's been hard on her, on us. I've got the marriage that didn't make it. I've got, and we can go on and on. And you know what? You're right. It happens. We have a clever little saying to always remind ourselves of what happens with a four-letter word. And it's true. It does happen. But I think the important thing about this story, and I think it was so important for the Jews as well, is to remind us that, yeah, it happens, but chazak also happens. Repair, restoration, beauty happens. I was just looking at Imad with his son. Back there in the back, playing with him, and I thought, man, what a beautiful image of Chazak. If you know his story, you know what that means. I had a mom come up to me after first service and say, yeah, yeah, you can worry about it, but Ryan, you can also look forward to the day your daughter marries the most incredible man you can imagine. And you just go, God, I'm so thankful and grateful that he is a part of our family. can look to the stories of healing of cancer, of which there are many. We can basically ask ourselves, 
Am I going to moan and complain and point out all the negatives? Or am I going to be willing to work? Because I serve a God of Hazak who wants me to represent Him and bring healing and restoration and repair wherever I can at some level. We're going to take communion. An incredible symbol of repair, if you ask me. Of restoration of relationship. Of repair of sin. Of strength. Of hope. Of encouragement. As you come to the table, take the bread and drink the wine. Thank Jesus for what He did. And ask Him how you can be a person of repair instead of a person of sarcasm this week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Nehemiah, another crazy Old Testament story that we can learn a lot from. Lord, I thank you that I truly believe you are a God of chazak, of repair, of restoration. Lord, that it's your desire for us. And Lord, I pray that as we go out from here, that we would be a people known not for our negativity, but Lord, for our positive outlook. And I don't mean positive outlook in a cheesy Oprah kind of way, Lord. I mean a positive outlook because we serve a God of repair, of restoration, of strength. Lord, because we serve a God who asks us to be a people who just stop complaining and moaning, but being a light in this world, a light to a hope and a joy and a peace that is real and not just some fancy words or changing our attitude, but is real and inspirational and motivational. Lord, help us to be willing to work because we're so inspired by what we can build with you, with your strength. Help us to be willing to work together. Help us to be willing to work when the spotlight is not on us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice of his life, a life continually seeking to represent restoration and repair. May we live with that kind of sacrifice in our own lives. Lord, may we represent you. We love you. We thank you for your amazing love for us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who died and rose again. Amen.